Well, good evening, and welcome to Grace Bible Church. My name is Hayden Potcutter, and I'm the men's pastor here at GBC, and I just wanted to say welcome, and thanks for coming to our Thursday night Bible study. We're going to continue um, teaching through the life of Moses, which has been really fun this summer, and I get the honor, nay, privilege, to introduce our speaker tonight. This is personally really exciting for me because he is a friend, but he's also a coworker. Um, so, so many things I could say about him. Um, he's, he's your middle school pastor here at GBC. So, wow, this is a big one. This is a big night. Caring for middle school souls here. He's your middle school pastor. Um, he's a former college baseball player. <laughs> wow, he's the, they call him a PO. That means pitcher only. I Googled it so you wouldn't have to. And he's engaged, and his lovely fiance, Abby, is here tonight. So, those are just a few things about him. I mean, they're. The, those are just a few things, but, but, but I want you to really know him, and I feel like it's my responsibility to tell you a little bit about him, and so if, if I may, I've gathered some intel about him, talked to Abby and those closest, just to understand a day in the life of your speaker, and I want you to know it would, the day would start with him taking off um, what I believe are called toe spacers. Toe spacers. These are, these are real. Toe spacers designed to combat feet deformity that's caused by shoes. He wears them. He wears them. Your speaker wears them. He could have them on right now. I don't know, and I won't check. He does not. Can confirm. He does not. He would take off his toe spacers, and then he would probably give a good stretch, and he'd go to his closet that has been filled by Value Village, where he enjoys shopping for all of his clothes, and he calls himself a pioneer of fashion, self-proclaimed pioneer of fashion, and he would grab his favorite article of clothing, his gauchos, his pants. Those were basically like pants that kind of stop right here. Very odd, but a pioneer of fashion, so who am I? Who am I to question that? But then our pioneer of fashion would continue, and he would probably walk to his car, which I have been told by those closest that he, this is described as he walks like a five-year-old which you can't unsee once you see it, I promise you. You will not be able to. But he would walk to his truck, he'd come up to GBC where he's gonna get ready to care for the souls of middle schoolers, and he would send some emails in his office. And you might be thinking, you get on your computer for that. I have been told by those closest to him that he is very bad with computers, such that he sends parent emails from his phone exclusively. Which means if you're a parent of a middle schooler, you've got an email from a phone certainly from a phone, probably wearing gauchos. So think about that. Maybe as he's walking, like a five-year-old. But, nay, all those things are great. You know, he would work, he's diligent, he is so good at his job, he'd probably go and he'd relax by playing a game of pickleball. He's really good at pickleball. And I have been told that sort of his tactic for intimidation is to stare opponents in the eyes, in the eyes across there, across the court, as it were, and just say, I'm here. And apparently the eye contact's important, I'm here. And that frightens me a little bit. It has to work. After a long day, he's gonna go home and he's gonna do what all most normal men do and take a bath. Because your speaker tonight enjoys baths. And all those things are great. I hope you got to know him a little bit, but I want you to know this is a big week for him. Because our, your speaker did not grow up with a dog. And you're like, man, he always wanted to have a dog. That, that's important. But this week, a gift was given to him the gift of dog sitting. Dog sitting is close to having a dog, but it's also 4th of July, and as we all know, dogs are scared of fireworks. And so your speaker tonight, who for the first time had a dog in his, you know, responsibilities, I, sp I suppose is the word, 
went to the home to unlock the door at the end of the night to a scared and frightened dog that bolted out and ran away. So your speaker tonight, the hero that we need, not the one we deserve, mounted a bike that he found and biked the streets of Memorial for an hour and 15 minutes looking for a frightened little dog scared by the fireworks going overhead. As the, the fireworks went off, he, he blazed down the streets only to find out that that scared, frightened little puppy was right down, the two houses down from where he was sitting, to which he approached him, I'm sure, staring him in those fearful, black, beady little eyes and simply said, I'm here. I'm here. So please give it up for your speaker, your middle school pastor, my friend, and soon to be yours, Cole McMillan. We on here? Y'all hear me? All those things are true that Hayden said. Um, it's fun to get up here. It's fun to be made fun of. It reminds me of being in a locker room playing baseball, but instead of that, I'm with 800 of my closest friends. So all that to say, um, who doesn't love a nice bath, right? Like, <laughs> it's been a long week with the dog, and, and all things considered, at the end of the day, I probably will finish just kind of distressing with the bath. <laughs> if you missed it, my name's Cole McMillan. I'm the middle school pastor. Um, it's been a fun year. I've been here close to a year next week, and it's been fun. It's fun to see leaders that serve alongside, and youth parents, and some of you kids, and it is a joy um, just to be able to serve in that way. So, tonight we'll be in Exodus 16, so if you have your Bibles, why don't you open those up? And if you weren't here last week, or you haven't been here this summer, we're going through the life of Moses. And last week, Brandon Allen got the call from the bullpen. He found his way in the lineup, pun intended. He wasn't planning on speaking, but it sounded like he knocked it out of the park. I'm not going to get up here and re-preach Brandon's text, but I will say my passage and his are different. Not different good, not different bad, but they're different. Both God's word, both true. And when I asked him, I said, hey, what, what do you want me to recapture from last week? He texted me back. He said, just say this. He said, say, last week, Brandon, by far our most fit and handsome elder, taught through Exodus 11 and 12. And he talked about the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, and God passing over and withholding that judgment on Israel. And because of their faithful act, applying the blood of the Passover lamb, all of this would point to Christ. Now Brandon, stoic, serious elder Brandon, a lot older than I, talked about the death of the firstborn. Tonight, me, younger, a little goofier, you heard it from Hayden, I'll be talking about magic bread from heaven, okay? <laughs> now, if you could personify our two passages, you would have Brandon, myself, Brandon, the Grim Reaper passage, and my passage, the Pillsbury Doughboy, okay? <laughs> All that to say, in the, the subtle complaint of how intense Brandon's passion is, actually raises a really important question that I don't think we ask a lot as Christians. And the question is, is simply this, what does God think about our complaints? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how much you complain, how much you complain today? What does God think about that? How does it affect our Christian walk? And why should we care 
That's what our text talks about tonight. So let me pray for our time, and I'll open up in verse 1 of Exodus 16. Dear Lord, thanks for an opportunity to be your mouthpiece, to share your word that is true, um, and share your character of of a good God. I pray that you would soften people's hearts to a topic that deserves to be talked about. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Verse 1, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. So we get going, there's some things that should be pointed out to kind of set the scene. And the first is where they're being sent out from. If you look at your text in chapter 15, verse 27, right above where we left off tonight, you'll see it said they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the water, right? Elam was a nice land. And yes, the Israelites are now out of Egypt, but it sounds like Elam wasn't too bad. And I'm not into, I've never been camping. I've never been glamping. I may not ever, but it sounds like if I was into camping, that Elam would be a spot that I could could handle for the time being. And, And that is where the Israelites have been set out from. And it says they have moved into the wilderness of sin, which after doing some research is about six miles away from Elam. That is from here to Memorial High School, or for a lot of you guys that do the Memorial Loop, it's two times around, right? And I figure with, with this many people, it probably took them about two and a half hours to travel from Elam to this spot in the wilderness. And maybe for some of you, let me track my steps, Speedwalkers, Donald Avent, Amy Bento, like hour 15, hour 30, you could really push to get there. But for these people, let's say two and a half hours. There's a lot of them. And the last thing we see is they've been gone for 45 days. It says the 15th day of the second month. It's a long time. I'm 44 days from getting married, and I can sympathize with the Israelites that 45 days isn't a short period of time, right? They, they, it's a long time. That's, that's it. That's it. And if you look at verse 2, <laughs> if you look at verse 2, we'll see for the first time what will be the consistent theme in our text? It says, the whole congregation grumbled. And I get, we don't use that word a lot, grumbling. You're not, if you're a parent, you're not telling your kids to stop grumbling in the back seat. You're not telling them to stop grumbling about school, right? So it, it's important as we go on to define exactly what grumbling is. And the Hebrew word for grumbling is loon, and it means to murmur, to complain, which it, it was kind of interchangeable, which is how I asked the question at the beginning. And I think even more important than defining it as we get going, it's, it's most important to define what it isn't, right? Grumbling is not talking about life's problems in a way where you're trying to experience freedom in Christ, right? It's not in your discipleship group and in your community talking about things that are hard, things that deserve to be talked about. As I get up here and talk about grumbling, what I don't want you to hear is I need to, as a Christian, kind of close my hands and just never say anything is hard for me. That is not. What it is, is would be me saying, uh, these middle schoolers are beating me down. I'm tired. My schedule is exhaustive. Long distance is hard. Engagement's hard. All these things. I can't do it. Like, it, it would be me just voicing. That is what grumbling is. And that is what the Israelites 
are doing. They're just grumbling. And it says it's a lot of them. Sam talked about it two weeks ago, but it's two million people. That is two million people grumbling, complaining. It is every year A&M goes seven and five, right? It is all those people just grumbling without end. And honestly, it probably started with one person. It probably started with a middle schooler that's like, man, I'm hungry. And then maybe an older brother, say it was a sixth grader, now it's an eighth grader, the older brother's like, Johnny's right, I'm hungry too, right? And then you got a high schooler, maybe an older sibling or a youth leader's like, this kid is right, I am starving. And then it gets to a point where someone goes, I'm so hungry, I'd rather die, right? Like, it didn't just start with one person and just cut off there. It continued to spread. Grumbling is a chain reaction. It's a chain reaction. It is something that is contagious, And both sides are to blame, the grumbler and the person who hears the complaint and does nothing. We should be holding our brothers and sisters accountable the same way we do gossip. When people come and vent to us and we don't tolerate gossip or we shut it down, we should do the same with grumbling. We shouldn't just be an empty void for people to speak life's complaints to. And it's hard. Like, we complain. I complain a lot, but as a people group, we complain about everything. We complain that works hard, that our boss or our coworkers don't get us, that our work-life balance is something that just no one understands. We complain that we're single. Married people complain that they're not single, right? Like, <laughs> bored people complain they don't have stuff to do. Busy people complain that they have too much to do. The AC's too hot. The AC's too cold at the 9 a.m. on Sundays. I heard, like, three people complain that there wasn't enough steak and avocado piata tonight. Like, we find reasons to complain. And the thing about grumbling, the reality is, is grumbling does not make things better. It makes things worse than they are every time. Like, think about the things you've grumbled about. When have you ever grumbled about something and all of a sudden it's improved? Most of the time, now you're just hungry and complaining. Like, it's, 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 it has never made things better. It honestly, it makes things worse. For the Israelites, it makes them forget the reality altogether. They say they'd rather die after two, two and a half hours of walking Their grumbling creates dysfunction. They didn't have it good at all. If you've been here this summer, you know that we've talked about it. They they were in slavery for 400 years, right? And if you think, oh, that's tough. They want to die, but they were in slavery. They were making 2,000 bricks a day, and they had to go get their own straw. They didn't have it good. Their grumbling doesn't help them. And I know I've said this, but it really, it hurts. And for those of you who may already be sitting here thinking, it's easy for Cole to talk about grumbling. He's 24. He seems like a, a pretty chill guy. He's a youth pastor. He can't have, you know, the hardest life. Like, I don't complain that much. You know, life's a little hard. I just, I talk about it a little bit. This isn't that big of a deal for me. I promise you it is. And to show you how big of an issue something like grumbling can be, I'm going to start with the most extreme example of where grumbling can lead to. Something that we would all agree is, is horrible and heavy, something destructive for both the church and, and everyone involved. The question is, is where do affairs start, right? The launching point, discontentment with your spouse. You tell yourself that because of them you aren't happy, the life's exhausting. You begin to tell yourself that you aren't content. And you say it enough times that you actually begin to want to voice it. And then you do. Your discontentment with your spouse is voiced. You tell yourself I'm just going to start telling people the things you think, 
Maybe you say it at a happy hour, maybe you say it at the gym, maybe you say it with people that you know will just listen, you know you're not going to get pushback, and the sad thing is, is that a lot of times your discontentment is affirmed by others or by saying nothing. And then when your discontentment turns to grumbling, continues to grow, you start to think, okay, I'll get some healthy outlets, I'll find contentment somewhere besides my marriage, instead of checking my heart, I'll throw myself in the gym, or I'll throw myself into work, or I'll really spend a ton of time, I'll be a good parent. It doesn't, it doesn't satisfy it. When that doesn't do it, you're like, man, what should I do? You begin to have emotional affair at work, your flesh craving more, you dive into pornography, you get entangled in sin you never thought you'd get into, you stray away from church, stray away from community, from the things you once loved, you can't do it anymore, the discipline is too bad, you have an affair, you look back and awake a sin going, how? How did this happen? I never thought I would be someone where this would happen to me. How did we get here? How? Discontentment that turned into grumbling. Grumbling is the point of entrance, entrance in which your mouth first expresses the discontentment of the heart. Let me say that again. Grumbling is the point of entrance in which your mouth first expresses the discontentment of the heart. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a gateway sin. It snowballs. And it's not just an affair. It could be a number of things. If you find yourself complaining a lot, like when I spent time with this passage, it was super convicting of how much I complained. Let it be a yellow light to check your heart, to check the things you're discontent about. Ask yourself why. Take inventory. What are the things that I am forgetful that God has given me? Let it be a yellow light to repent, to turn from your sin, to delight in God's grace. Let it be a light to take your complaints to prayer. You know, and it's crazy what God does. And it, the story itself that we'll get into is amazing as it is. But if you look at just the first three verses, and if you look at chapter 15, you see the Song of Moses. The whole time, they're just seeing how great God is. And as soon as they get to the wilderness, two hours in, they just start complaining. Like, if I was God, and I just pulled all these people out of Egypt which I'm not God, but if I was, I would have taken a lightning bolt and just shot him down and started over. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have put up with these people. I mean, I'm glad I'm not. You know, he probably done it cooler than that, but let's see what God does. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we? That you grumble against us. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to be full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. It's kind of a hard pivot than what we would expect, right? In verse 4, God says, I'm going to make it rain bread from heaven. But he doesn't just give them endless bread, which is really important. He gives them bread with an ordinance, an authoritative order. Look again halfway through verse 4. In all of five, the text says, And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion 
every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Why the instruction, right? Why the test? Why? Why? I would imagine if you're a parent, it's the same reason you don't give your kids ice cream at 9 a.m. for breakfast, or you don't give them all the things they asked for for Christmas, right? Like if I got all my desires in middle school that I wanted, I would have been playing Call of Duty till midnight last night, eating zebra cakes for every other snack. Like, but God doesn't do that for the Israelites. He doesn't just give them all they want in abundance. The same reason God gives the Israelites daily bread is the same reason the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. Not monthly or yearly or weekly, it's daily. The bread, yes, is a metaphor for physical needs, but the Israelites and us, we don't need our physical needs met. We don't need another house or car or furniture or pair of hokas. We live in a world that is both overly comfortable and glorifies self-sufficiency. Our ability to get what's ours, and we can do it. We, we really can. Like, we have that capability. And we don't need any of it. What we need, what the Israelites need, is daily dependence. We don't need our troubles solved. We, don't, we need the gospel. We need it daily. We need the reminder that we can't materialize our way to heaven. We can't materialize our way to enjoying Christ. It doesn't work. We don't need bread. We need Christ. And what God wants for Israel and for us is that daily dependence, and it's a kindness to us. That instead of just getting bread, we get the bread of life. That's what John 6.35 says. Jesus is the bread of life, and then it goes on to say that man can't live on bread alone. If he could, we still end up in hell. You know, a lot of my public speaking is done specific to middle school. Before I started, it's only been announcements, and it's been in middle school, but you got to keep it fresh up there. you got to always be making sure they're engaged. So I want to try something. We're all adult middle schoolers at heart, right? I want every, there we go. <laughs> I want everyone to close their eyes. Close their eyes. Everybody. Come on, Michael. I want you to think about that one thing, the thing that you badly want, the thing that you may be wishing that you had, and if you had it, you'd say, I'd be happier, things would be a lot easier, or life would be good. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's your schedule is too busy, maybe it's the health of a loved one, maybe it's money, maybe it's a relationship, or the lack of, what's that thing that would make everything better? Get open your eyes. If you had that thing, would it make you more dependent on God? That is the point of this text. Our worship is misplaced. We don't need that thing to be dependent on God. The Israelites' worship is misplaced. They don't need bread. They need the Lord. And God is giving them what they need in the way he does it as a reminder of where their provision comes from. That through time and through his provision and his bread, he is training, teaching the Israelites to trust him more and more. He does the same thing with us. It's, it's why we don't get everything we need. It's why we don't get all of our desires. It's, it's by design. God gives them what they need to serve as a reminder of who they need. That's why Moses repeats himself so much in verses six through eight. He emphasized it by saying, Lord, once in verse six, twice in verse seven, and then 
If you look with me at verse 8, he says it three times. It says, and Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to be full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Our grumbling is against the Lord. It's against God. The Israelites' grumbling is against God. My middle schoolers asking for Sour Patch Straws at 10 a.m. is against God. (laughs) When you complain, though, about your kids, how they're hard, and how you don't like where you're at at your job, or the community that you do have, or that you're tired of being alone, what you're saying is, God, what you've given me, it's not enough. I don't like it. I'm not okay with it. That's what you're saying. And despite their ungratefulness and ours, the way Moses and Aaron and God show grace to the people, to his people, is the best part of this text. Verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Oh, say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I want to take a second to build out the picture, right? We've, we're in chapter 16 of Exodus. This whole time God has been showing his people who he is. Ten plagues. He parts the Red Sea. Once they gather there, they're, they're praising him. Then they come, hey, we need water. And wh- what does God do? He gives Moses a stick, allows them to have water they can drink. He gives them this nice lush spot in Elam. And then as soon as they get away from Elam, they complain again. What does he do? He reveals himself to them in glory. It's a beautiful display of God's heart for his people. People rebelling, sinning against God after all he had given them. They grumbled, they complained, and here God is, faithful to his people in his glory. And the point, the point is not that they got what they complained about. The point is that despite their complaining, God showed tremendous mercy. That despite the Israelites forgetting, not acknowledging God, he chose to give them what they so badly needed. And that is, in every way, my story. I spent so much of my life not content with the things God gave me, whether it was throwing myself into baseball, my ego, using personability to think, hey, I'm going to make my own bread. I'm going to go get it. The world is mine. That was me rebelling, saying, man, what God, what God, what you've given me, it's not enough. And God gave me what I needed when he showed me who he was. I am and was the Israelites grumbling against God, and I still do that. And yet, through his kindness, he gives us his son. What I say in in middle school is is pretty simple. Any given Sunday, whether it's me or another youth leader teaching, we always want to say, here's the takeaway. It's something that they could have as they go on for the week. And sometimes we don't do a good job, so it's for the day or the car ride home, or it's for just now, and we say, hey, here's the takeaway. Right? Like, but here's the takeaway. God made us to have desires. It is in every way a part of, of who we are. We're, we're creatures. And when we put our desires in anything other than God, we won't be fulfilled. We, we never will. Even in heaven, there's no discontentment, not because we no longer have desires in heaven, but because we finally are able to see God for what he is, the ultimate fulfillment. 
of all the desires we've ever had. So instead of grumbling, let our fatigue, our unfulfillment in the world, life's hard things, let them serve as a reminder of our fulfillment to come. Let us serve as a reminder of our fulfillment in Christ. Let our complaints move us to prayer and to dependence. Let our troubles be a reminder of how good we already have it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thanks for your word. I, I, I pray that our hearts will be softened to just how good of a God you are and how much you've already given us. We are thankful, and despite our rebellion, I pray you would just show us who you are, and you would just pour grace our, over our lives. For all these things in your son's name, amen. Yeah, it was.